to a church. I know where to go to get my car fixed now, eh? <laughs> it's actually an awesome testimony, really, because it uh, kind of goes along with my message, faith. I mean, uh, I always struggle to do a title of a message because I, I kind of have, you know, it is faith, but I thought shield of faith is appropriate. Thank you, Father. Everyone say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome. Right. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the righteousness of God. Now tell yourself, I am the righteousness of God. Do you believe that? Do you know the Bible tells you that when Jesus died on the cross and became sin for us, we became his righteousness? It's actually really powerful and it's something as Christians we don't hold to ourselves. It would solve a lot of problems if we just got that one revelation. But... uh. You know, there's one thing, you know, Jesus says a lot of things in the Bible and there's some things that always seem to reoccur for me and I always find the Holy Spirit always brings things in remembrance at the right time. And Jesus asks himself this question and he asks it in a strange place. You know, he says it at the end of a parable of the persistent woman and the un unjust judge. So at the end of this parable he goes and he says to himself, I wonder when, when uh, the Son of Man returns to earth, will I find faith? What a strange question to ask himself, because he's not asking his disciples, he's asking himself. He's pondering, when I return, will I find faith? See, that question wasn't for the disciples, that question's for us. You know, you need to ask yourselves, if Jesus turned up right now, will he find faith? Will he find faith in me? It's a serious question. It's obviously very important because he's looking for faith. We know God doesn't work without faith. You can't please God without faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So in saying that, you know, we are living in quite random, weird times, this to say. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm finding is right now people are making decisions based on two things. It's either based on faith or it's based out of fear. And uh, it's causing a divide in the body of Christ. Okay, Because some people are going, I'm standing here, I'm standing my ground, I'm putting my faith in God. This person has made another decision and they're judging people on their decisions. We've got to stop that. All right, We're all together in this. And whatever decision you make, you're both going to need God either way. It doesn't make God go away. The point is, if someone is making a stand, we have got to support that person. Because I can tell you now, there are some people in this church, and there are some people in my workplace, that are going to lose their jobs because they're making a stand. Now, we don't judge them. As a Christian, we support them. Because they're making a stand for freedom. They're making a stand for what they believe in. Isn't that what a true Christian does? Now, if you don't have faith to do that yourself, get around those people and get faith off them. It's important. We've got to stop the division because that's the enemy right there. He's trying to split us up. We've got to join ranks. There is a massive spiritual battle going, going on. I can feel it. I can feel the pressure every day. And if I don't read the word, if I don't focus on God, that pressure becomes overwhelming. I feel freedom when I focus on God. I feel freedom when I say I'm walking in faith. I feel freedom 
when I say I am the righteousness of God. But it's a constant reminder. You know, we live by faith, not live by faith for two minutes. And you see, as a Christian, I mean, it's easy to react off people. I'm seeing people that are, that are normally good-natured, who, out of fear, are saying and doing things they wouldn't normally do. And as a Christian, we've got to remind ourselves that we're meant to be a follower of Christ. We're meant to be living by faith and not fear. So our decision-making is based on faith. Our reaction to people who are in fear is compassion, understanding, and showing God's love. Because it's God's love that casts out perfect fear. Uh, sorry, perfect fear casts out... Perfect love casts out fear. <laughs> I got jumbled up there. You know what I mean. <laughs> but we need more of God's love, not more of judging. Okay? Put your opinions aside. Okay, there's no, there are no opinions in this book. This isn't an opinion. This is faith. Okay, we can all have our opinions, but put them aside, please. Okay, we've got to stop. See, if we're going to follow the Lord, you need a shield of faith. You need the whole armor of God. So that's where I want to start with Ephesians 6, 11 to 16. Okay, that's not all of it, but that's all right. I'll read, the, I'll read it all. So, put on the whole armor of God that you, may, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith in which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So Paul is saying, above all, take the shield of faith. Above all, that armor, take the shield of faith. Because faith is the glue that holds that entire armor together. So right now, we are fighting against principalities in those heavenly places, and spiritual wickedness. And like Paul said, we should put on the whole armor of God. We need the armor of God, but we need the shield of faith to protect that armor. Think of it this way. When a, in the old days, when a warrior went out to battle, they didn't run out on the battlefield just with a sword. They ran out with their shield, because if they didn't take their shield, they were vulnerable, wouldn't they? You could think of it in modern-day terms. A soldier now can be armed to the teeth, but if he doesn't have his bulletproof vest on, or his stab vest, or his protective clothing, he's vulnerable. It's the same for a Christian. The shield of faith is our bulletproof vest. It is what quenches the fiery darts that come out from all angles. It what protects you. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Let's take the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5.21 says... For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's the word. We can stand on that. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness because God says we've become his righteousness. So what does the devil do straight away? You're not righteous. You just sinned. It's got nothing to do with what you did. It's, what, it's got everything to do with what God did. You know, he put his son up there so that he could make us the righteousness of God. But remind yourself, 
The devil will say, you're not good enough, you know, you're useless and all those things. But to stop that, you put up your shield of faith. You know, the shield of faith will quench all those accusations. You make a stand and you say, no, I am the righteousness of God. You fortify your ground and resist. Are you hearing me, people? I'm not condemning anyone. This is encouraging because we're all people of faith. You, the, just the fact that you're here, you've shown faith. So don't think that you have no faith. You do. I believe every single one of you have faith. See, the armor of God is revelation and knowledge of his word. And it's faith that holds it all together. Without your faith, the armor falls apart, like I mentioned before. So you can have the shield of faith and no armor. What use is that? You've got nothing to stand on. It's the other way around. You can have all the revelation knowledge you want. It's just going to fall apart as soon as you walk out that door because you're not putting your shield of faith up. You're not standing your ground. You're not fighting. See, faith is a 24-7 deal. You don't, you don't let up for one second because your enemy does not let up. He does not. 1 Peter 5, 7, 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We all experience the same sufferings. We've got to stand together. Steadfast. Be sober, be vigilant. Know yourself in here. We don't give up. We don't let up. We've got to be persistent to the point that we become annoying. Which brings me to the parable of the persistent woman and the unjust God. Uh, judge, sorry. My mouth's too dry, I think. So, Luke 18, 1 to 8. So this is Jesus speaking the parable. Then he spoke the parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me, uh, for me from my adversary. But he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She was persistent. She never gave up. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust God said. Unjust judge said, sorry. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? So he was questioning faith at the end of that. So this parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge, Jesus was using this parable to teach his disciple about persistence and praying always and to never give up. Especially if you're facing injustice, which we currently are at the moment. So here we have an unjust judge who does not fear God. He has no compassion for the people under his jurisdiction. Now, a judge in those days in the Jewish community was expected to be impartial, to judge righteously, and to recognize that judgment ultimately belongs to God. But this judge in this story is incompetent, unqualified for the job, and justice was not being served. So eventually the judge says to himself, 
I do not fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant, persistent requests. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> so the widow eventually got justice she was seeking. She never gave up. She held her ground. Then Jesus explains his point. So if an uncaring, unfit, ungodly judge answers with justice in the end, how much more will a loving Holy Father give what is right to his children? How much more? We do not always get immediate results when we pray, and our definition of swift justice is not the same as the Lord's definition. It's completely different. We need to just trust in God. Leave it to Him. Don't go out seeking injustices. Leave it to God. Whereas children, He will protect us. See, the parable demonstrates the effective prayer requires tenacity and faith. We must learn that faith never gives up and is based on absolute trust in God. We can fully count on the Lord to answer when and where and how He chooses. So we ought to be persistent in our faith and patient. We're not alone in this. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. So you've got to be on guard always with your shield up. You've got to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in His righteousness. In His righteousness. Remember, that's only one part of the armor, eh? Be courageous, stand up for what is right, speak out when no one will, stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. This is who we are. Be strong because who can be against you if God is for us? Who can be against us if God is for us? Do we not realize how powerful our God is? He is the only God. He made us in His image, He calls us sons and daughters. How can anything be against us? The Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith, so you know it's a fight. There's a fight going on, so start fighting. Don't give up. You know, we might lose some battles, but that doesn't mean we lose the war. We've all lost some battles. We've all given into fear. We're not, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. The point is, is to pick yourself up and give it another go, and give it another go, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. Think of it like a boxing match. You win some rounds, you lose some rounds, but ultimately you win the round. You knock them out. You know, we're all on the battleground together, eh? We're all fighting our battles individually, and that's the point. We need to be fighting them together. It's time to join ranks as a church and stand as one before God and fight the good fight of faith. That's all we should be concerned about is this. That's it. Everything else is rubbish. See, Abraham never gave up faith in God, and if he did, there would be no inheritance for God's people. See, Abraham's faith paved the way for Israel to the Promised Land. You know, it takes faith to raise a family. It takes faith to run a church. It takes faith to stand up for the Word. It takes faith to pray, to sing, to serve. It takes faith to come on a Sunday and listen to the message, and it takes faith to live a life as a Christian. 
So be on, guard, be on guard, stand firm, and be courageous and be strong. It's okay to be strong. I'm tired of people who think Christians are weak. We're the strongest people there is. We are very strong. Look at all the men and women in the Bible. They weren't weaklings and pushovers. They were strong, bold, and courageous. I'm not saying go out and start a fight. I'm saying you stand your ground and you be strong. Tell yourself, I'm strong. Who can be against us if God is for us? We honour God by being strong. We're not weak. 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith, not by sight. So faith is not based on emotions, just because we're in a good mood today, or we feel positive, that's not faith. That's just being in a good mood. Faith is not based on sight. For example, Peter, he heard Jesus call out to him on the boat. He heard Jesus, so he jumped out. He stepped out in faith and walked on the water. His faith was activated. As soon as he saw troubled waters around him, what happened? He sunk. He took his eyes off Christ. He took his shield down. He sunk. We cannot base our faith on circumstances and feelings or what we see. We've got to, we all are facing obstacles in life. We've got to see past that. It's like the, the story of the 12 spies, you know. Moses had delivered God's people out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness for quite some time, but God had promised them a land of milk and honey. So the time came when they came up to the land of milk and honey. God instructed Moses, I want you to send out 12 spies to go and bring back a report of what they see. So 10 spies come back and they go, yes, it is the land of milk and honey. It is the land that God promised, but there are giants there. They have fortified cities. We can't do it. The whole congregation got upset. They got so upset they said we were better off being a slave in Egypt. That's like telling someone that Richard was better off before he became a Christian. Is it not? It's like telling someone that's just been delivered from something you were better off being possessed. What, what kind of attitude is that? They've totally forgotten everything God had done. God had done signs and wonders, led them in the wilderness, parted the Red Sea. They just completely, every time, forgot what God had done. They weren't living out of the last revelation of God. But two guys came back, Joshua and Caleb. They came back with a totally different report. They settled down the congregation and they said, God is with us, who can be against us? God will deliver us and protect us. This is the land God has promised. God is with us, we do not need to fear. This was this, they came back with the answer. Yes, they saw obstacles, but they that wasn't, they didn't bother them. They knew who God was. They didn't see the negative as a problem. They just saw what God had promised. How many times have we heard what God has promised in, our, in his word, but we don't receive it, receive it or enter into it because we're too focused on the mountain in front of us. We're too focused on the problems and not focused on what God has done for us or what God is doing for us. It's perspective. Remember last time I said, come to church with a different perspective? How many of us are actually doing that? We've got to change our perspective and the way we look at things. Change the way you look at yourself. You know, when I was sitting down there, I felt like God was saying to me, tell my people they're awesome. Tell my people they have my righteousness on them. Tell my people 
I've adopted you. You are my son and my daughters. It's time to rise up. It's time. There are only so many times when that can be said before it's too late. So if we carry on, Numbers 14, 24 says, and this is talking about Caleb, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring into him the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb had a different spirit. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You see, sheep follow the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you follow him, you shall not want. Jesus says, follow me quite a lot, actually. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Take up your cross and follow me. He said to the young rich ruler, sell all you have and follow me. He said, follow me to the fishermen. Are we following Jesus wholeheartedly? Okay, if we carry on to Numbers 32.11. Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb and Joshua, for they wholly followed the Lord. You'll never enter into your promise if you're not willing to wholly follow the Lord. Even Moses missed out on the promise. Man, they were right on that line. They could see that land of milk and honey, and they had to suffer for another 40 years. But not only that, Joshua... And Caleb, who were men of faith, had to suffer for another 40 years before they could inherit it. But it's interesting, you think they would have a bad attitude, eh? So 40 years had gone, and Joshua and Caleb were the only survivors to come out of, that, of Egypt. All the other men died, including Moses. They never lived in the blessing that was promised to them. Why? Because they weren't willing, willing to walk by faith and not by sight. They had a different spirit, and they followed the Lord regardlessly. Of the, regardless of the circumstances before them. You see, the other, the other group of people, they walked by what they saw. They saw a land full of obstacles. So now, 40 years have passed, and it says, Caleb says this in Joshua 14:11, As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for both for going out and for coming in. He is now 85 years old, and he is still as strong as the day Moses sent him. His faith never wavered one iota. Not one bit. It was consistent, persistent. He sat there for another 40 to 45 years until he could walk into his promise. Never wavered, never blamed God. Never blamed anybody. Just bided his time. So now he receives his inheritance. And he says in Joshua 14, 12, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day that Anakin were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So now he's an 85-year-old man. He goes in there and he drives them out. He drives them out of that mountain. And that mountain, by the way, don't forget, were full of giants. An 85-year-old man with God on his side took his inheritance and drove out the giants. Remember Pastor Robin was talking about giants? You know, what giants are blocking us from taking our land? He never gave up. 
He didn't let obstacles stop him from receiving what God had promised. He wholly followed the Lord. He knew his place. Can I get an amen? It's a little bit quiet in here. So, if we go to Matthew 8, 5, 13, this is the story about the centurion. I'm sure we're all familiar with this story. And it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself are a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed. And this servant was healed at that moment. Now, the centurion did understand authority. He knew what it, was meant to, what it was like to be under authority. He understood because he was a soldier, a commander. He did understand humility. He knew the chain of command. He had an understanding of authority, but he didn't have faith to apply it until he heard the word of Jesus, until he heard about Jesus. You know, and I've shared this scripture before, and there is an authority component to that, but something stuck out to me recently. You know, how many of you here are born again? Okay, some of you didn't put your hand up. <laughs> but for those who said, yes, I'm born again, you believed that you believed in a God that sent his son to the cross, right? You believe that God raised his son from the cross, right? And you believe that you are now saved and going to heaven. So you believe just like the centurion at his word. So you have great faith. We all started with great faith. Let that sink in for a little bit. I don't think you quite got it. We all started with great faith. Because we heard the word. So what's stopping us from carrying on? Is it knowledge? Some of it is. Some of it's the lack of knowledge. Some of it's we've given up and put our shield down. We're all capable of great faith that's in us. It's just a choice. See, if you've forgotten about God, go back to the place where you remember God. Go back to the place he'd done something for you. Go back to where you got born again. Go and live out of that until you get another revelation to live out of. And then get another revelation to live out of. The problem is, is we stop at one revelation and get discouraged and then God, we say God's disappeared in our life, but really it's us that walked away. God, is just, he's always with his arms out, always saying, come back to me, come back to me. It's just like the guy I was trying to point out last week. And I feel like you're here today, actually. And I feel like this is probably the last time that I'm going to say this. I know you're here. And I know you walked with God. He wants you back, eh? He so wants you back, man. All I ask you is just think about it. By the end of this message, think about it and just come up the front, please. God's got something amazing for you. I really, really feel it. I wasn't going to say it, 
until I felt the Holy Ghost prompt me. I leave it with you, decision is you. No one's here judging you. All I can say is God is putting his hand out and he's saying, come home. Come home. You were here last week and you heard me say that. Come home. All right. So I'm kind of coming towards the end of my message. I want to end on this. Romans 8, 15, 19. It says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abbot Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are, ch- if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our sufferings are nothing until the and For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. God is just waiting for us to get this revelation. See, there, there's two different spirits here, two different mindsets that we can have in our approach to God. We can approach Him as slaves, or we can approach Him as adopted children. The spirit of slavery views God as a slave owner. And that we tremble at his, you know, like we're his trembling subjects. The spirit of adoption views God as a loving father, as we are his beloved sons and daughters. There's a difference between the way a son serves their fathers and the way a slave serves their masters. Slaves perform, may perform duties. A son performs acts of love. Slaves dutifully obey, sons gladly obey. Slaves are motivated by fear and punishment. Sons are motivated by love and relationship. A slave will ask, what is required? A son will ask, what else can I do for you? The spirit of adoption changes us from fearful slaves to joyful sons and daughters. The spirit of adoption allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace. And you can read that in Hebrews 4.16. As a beloved child runs to his father in times of trouble. We need to run to God because we are in times of trouble. Run to God. I'm going to end my message there. Can I have the band up, please? So like I said, that person that I spoke out, while the band's playing up, I'm going to hand the service back over to Richard Brown. You know, Richard, I don't know why the Holy Spirit always puts you on my heart, eh? But you are anointed evangelist, eh? Okay? So let that anointing take you over.